You mean the one that gets fired for the panties? Yeah. 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 And the car sex. <laughs> the car sex. I think he gets away scot free, yes. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Cher. Oh, hi. Oh, well, hi. Well, <laughs> you're trying to seduce me, aren't you, Mrs. Robinson? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Barrett has his legs all, like, you know, wrapped up on the screen there. It's amazing. He's, by the he's way, I caught that a little bit ago. Uh, that movie is sexy. Yeah. The mm-hmm. Graduate? Dude. Yeah. And yeah. Bancroft is, is uh, I would have been seduced by her. I mean, she is absolutely... Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's mesmerizing in that. What's role. funny though is that I think she's only like six years older than Dustin Hoffman in real life in that movie. It's, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's the one scene where they're laying in bed and he's he's having doubts and everything, and he's getting all all pissed off at her, and he and they're both naked, and she's laying in bed, and he gets up and he gets in a huff, and he's like, "Why are you doing this to me?" and everything, and he gets all dressed, and he's you know he's like, "Oh, I can't believe you're doing this," and she basically says like a couple of things. And he starts to get undressed again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We are going to finish up our best movie of the 2010 decade. Um, We are in our final four. And um, and, uh, something, you know, there's going to be only one winner, unfortunately. That's just the way these things go. Um, And man... I don't know if we could have picked two harder matchups to get to the championship and the championship itself is going to be very difficult. No matter mm-hmm. what happens. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Mm-hmm. We start on the left side of the bracket with the number one seed, Mad Max Fury road and the two seed, the Martian. Oh Jesus. I feel like I want to take out a bug bunny hammer and doink myself on the head and just wake up when all this is over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> Mad Martian Fury Road. <laughs> uh, these movies have similar locales. Uh, <laughs> That's true. They're on yeah. different planets. Um, man, you know the 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 thing about Mad Max Fury Road and that water stuff that is getting that's getting real scary, man. That's like that's like something that I think could actually happen when you when you think about. The big short and you and that and that Christian Bale character at the end is investing in water. And it's basically uh, like the very end of that movie. It says this is what he's investing in now. Mm. Uh, it's, you know, and, and I, I looked that up and it's basically like, you know, uh, investing in uh, stuff that I don't know, stuff that um, purifies the water, stuff that the sources of the water, all those type of things. That's things he's kind of investing in. Yeah, I just think about that type of thing, how water is just like this commodity in this world, man. Can That's you imagine thing, living right? in the... Is, Emerton Joe is like hoarding the water, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the currency. It's not oil like it was, or gas, or whatever it was, like mm-hmm. it was the original ones. It's He releases the water every 
interval and yeah. everybody gets around and gets what whatever they get. It's like just a imagine that being like a whole bunch of cash or something. It's uh, it's the same deal that he's dumping on those people. It's like those money, money, those, money. Yeah, those old those old uh, those old uh, game shows where the people are in the booth and the the money is flying all around them and shit. That's basically what that is. It's just with water, you know. Uh, uh, because and he even says, you know, don't don't go overboard on this stuff. This is, this is, you know, you, you can get addicted to this kind of thing or whatever. Like, like there's, you know, thanks a lot, asshole for giving me the water. And then he's like, well, you can't get addicted. It's, this is, this is, I'm being really gracious to you right now <laughs> and everything. I mean, good God, what a fucking asshole. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that doesn't need to be said, but like Jesus, like the, the level of evil that this guy has in him, is uh is is it's one of the it's it's probably one of the biggest villains of all time really when you think about it just think about what he's doing to these people mm-hmm. meanwhile he's like you know he's like got a harem and he's Ooh. got uh all the water he wants in the world and he's got a bunch of slaves working for him and you know the people down kids. there look at, yeah the kids all his kids that become soldiers and whatnot um yeah he's an asshole <laughs> yeah, I mean, doesn't need to be said. It's just that it, it's it's when you really step back from it, it's God. God, this guy is like maybe one of the worst characters we've ever seen. What is the deal with his uh, Bane mask? Like, what what's the? Why does he need that? Is it a, just a breathing device? Yeah, my guess is that he's got some sort of scarring or something like that that makes him look less than desirable or whatever. But but it helps in some way because. That's how they kill him, right? Is is taking off the mask? Oh yeah, he may have he may have some oxygen or something. I can't remember. Okay, I think that I think that might be right. But uh, yeah, the uh, the level of evil in this guy is unbelievable. Um, God damn it, man! These two movies. <laughs> uh, um. So, anything else about the Martian that we need to say? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think this will largely be a quick voting process. It, it's going to be painful, but mm-hmm. we've said so much about all these movies. I mean, I have watched The Martian since the last time we voted. Um, oh, yeah? <laughs> yes, but I've probably watched that movie once every couple of weeks anyway. What um, makes it so easy? Is it just the the, the colors and the, 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 the dialogue and the... Uh, the performances, what makes it so rewatchable? What makes like, you know, the, the nice guys we've talked about as being one of the most rewatchable of the bracket, you know, the big short is rewatchable. What makes this movie so rewatchable? Mad Max Fury Road is rewatchable, obviously, but it's also stressful, right? Like, it's not like, like you've got to buckle in for that with the Martian. What you've done, Jeremy, probably a million times to put on the background, attuned to it whenever you want to mm-hmm. tune in for, for stretches that, you know, but it's just so easy to watch. Yeah. It's, there's very little fat in that script. There's, yeah, you know, in terms of, in terms of what they scripted, what they shot and how they edited it down, it's nearly the structure of the film is almost perfect. And I think that's what you're getting at is that it's, it's so rewatchable because 20 minutes goes by you know, like that, yeah. uh, because they make all the parts of it so engaging. 
uh, whether they're back on Earth and we're seeing some of the science stuff at work there or it's on Mars and we're listening to Watney's, you know, POV or sarcasm. Um, yeah, it's, it's just uh, I don't know why Ridley Scott can't do this every time out, but maybe he doesn't have Drew Goddard and Matt Damon every time. Out. Yeah, his, <laughs> the ingredients for this are so different from what he's had in the past. Uh, one thing we haven't talked too much about the Martian on, we've discussed the uh, the people down on the ground, like Jeff Daniels and Chiwetel Ejiofor and all those guys. We've discussed a lot of Matt Damon. We haven't really discussed much about that crew. Jessica Chastain, Michael Pena is like steel scenes with some of the stuff he says in that. I love yeah. some of the, I love the meth when they finally get to talk to him. And he starts, <laughs> and they start typing back and forth. It's hilarious, and it's funny too to watch Jessica Chastain because because she she tolerates the that type of thing, even though she's very tired of it. You can tell that she's just tired of it, and she doesn't feel like this is an appropriate time to tell Watney that he's not needed or he's unimportant <laughs> or any of that type of thing. But there's something in her performance too. But those two especially i kind of feel like kate mara and and uh bucky and uh and, bucky. Uh, <laughs> and, and the russian Noble. guy and the russian guy are kind of he's, he's german oh he's german sorry <laughs> um i think that those 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 guys kind of kind of fall in the background a little bit they don't they're not given much to do uh really but in a movie that's got so many characters so many things to do obviously you need to have some people in there that don't have much to, to contribute. Uh, but, um, well, it's interesting yeah. that that is probably the set piece that we spend the least amount of time on. Right. I mean, besides yeah. them making the decision to say, which, which happens understandably it, with Jessica Chastain's character, it happens very quickly of like, all right, we're going to spend what three more years in space or whatever it is. Um, you know, the the focus is on the JPL and on NASA and on Mars. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That, that whole cast sings and it's weird that relationship with Bucky and uh, Kate Mara kind of happens, comes out of nowhere a little bit, but it's also very believable, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, it's more flushed out in the book. Um, it's again, it's still a pretty minor subplot, but yeah, when they even included her kissing his helmet as he goes out, on the right before the whatever she says be, be safe out there in space mm. and then she kisses his helmet that's pretty much the only relationship hint um and i was surprised they put that in there since they hadn't put anything else in there about it at all yeah uh, yeah. It, it's yeah i think only... you're right the chastain it deserves a lot of credit and and michael pena for sure um and then what I love is in the sort of the, the ending when we're seeing where everybody's at now and Chastain is, you know, getting off the getting off the elliptical and drinking coffee with her husband watching the launch. And then it cuts and Michael Pena's on the next launch. He's like he couldn't get enough of space. Like his <laughs> yeah. wife was so mad when he decided to to do the slingshot. She was like, Three more years. Mm -hmm. And now he's come back to Earth and he's on the next mission because he can't. That discussion that you were talking about with Chastain talking to the crew about she, you know, she, I, I love that scene too. She makes it unanimous. It has to be unanimous for all of them. Um, she tells them the risks, uh, you know, that, you know, this is going to add three years to our mission. Uh, if anything happens, we're, we're going to be dead. Um, 
And also we're, we're strictly going uh, against NASA's orders. Two of us are military and will probably be court-martialed. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and, and, uh, and, you know, if we, and even if everything goes right, we're going to come back. They're never going to send us into space again. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they, of course, that's another part of another theme of this movie is that the people deciding to go back and save him aren't doing this lightly. They are saying to themselves, Oh, the biggest thing that's going to happen is I don't get to go to space anymore. Well, I've been in space for five years at that point. <laughs> so that's enough space for anybody. God, yeah, imagine so- that, man. We're all kind of freaking out sitting at home for two, three months. And these yeah. guys are yeah. adding three years well and these guys are fictional but think about the real life astronauts that have been up on the space station for like a year already like (laughs) how do they do that like it's Uh it's opened my eyes the last few weeks for sure yeah okay guys what are we gonna pick martian martian oh wow that was (laughs) that was easy (laughs) sorry Uh, i'm sorry this is not even i was gonna i was gonna go first and go and do it slowly I wasn't even looking at that screen, but I heard Barrett say Martian, and instinctively I wanted to close the lid so there was no escaping from Mad Max, and it just, it just came out of my mouth. This is going to be a sweet, surprising one. Um, wow. wow. I was picking Martian as well. Uh, really, honestly, this is much harder of a decision than we've made it, uh, I yeah. think, uh, because both of these movies are excellent. Both of these movies, you know, Every time we say goodbye to one movie, it sounds like we're saying goodbye to that movie forever. We're never going to watch it. It's no good anymore. But that's just not the way that is. It's just, you know, you put it up against these two, these two going up against each other. That's, uh, uh, it's just a tough matchup for Mad Max Fury Road, which has a lot going for it, but it doesn't have as much going for it as The Martian does. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Martian will be in the championship against the winner of the mm. eight seed parasite mm. and the number one seed X machina. Mm-hmm. Um, parasite mm-hmm. was a sort of surprise final four. Although, uh, in our fan poll, it got to final four as well. Um, Oh yeah. Hey, uh, uh I got a question for you. Yeah. Yay. These are, these are two very house based movies. What uh, which house would you want to live in? Because they're both very very cool houses. I want the parasite house. Actually, wait. I I want the ex machina house, if only for the thousands of acres between me and the rest of mankind. My God, dude! The, I, we were. I think we talked about that in like the first matchup that ex machina had. Where and I, and now that I've recently seen it, because there's a point where Donald Gleason's in the helicopter and he goes, "So when do you think we'll be getting in, getting uh, to the property?" He goes, "We've been flying over the property for two hours." He's got to think about how many miles of property that must be for to be in a helicopter flying over it for two hours. Imagine being the guys that had to build that fucking house and haul. <laughs> All that, all that, like building equipment, all those miles, like ah, oh, Jesus, dude. Well, uh, I've been watching every once in a while, like on DIY Network or something like that. There will be one of these like remote cabin builders uh, shows, like in Alaska and like northern Canada and stuff like that, where 
it's only like there's only like three weeks out of the year that they can build <laughs> where it's nice. <laughs> and wow. even there, it's barely tolerable. But those well, three weeks are so beautiful that they do. And the, the methods that they get these things into is crazy. <laughs> the so uh, In the behind the scenes on Ex Machina, the, they were looking for the locations and Alex Garland was in a helicopter and they were in Norway and they were they went over this property and he's like that's that's one that we could look at basically it's one property in one place and it's another property like a mile away from it and they've combined those to look like they're close together essentially really yeah hmm. and they even made it where you know certain places in one building look like they naturally flow into the other building from the inside oh um, cool yeah so like oh. a lot of the that's so weird. I would want to see like a like a room two thirty seven type of map of what that house actually looks like. They the show inside. they show it in the behind the scenes. They show they the out they they show the outside of both buildings. Um, just you know, it's just that one of them is is you know one part of it is in this one spot, and another one is way down the other way. So no, I'm just wondering how they relatively within the movie fit mm-hmm. into each other, like how which part oh, flows yeah. into one part because it seems it seems very segmented. You've got the living quarters, and then you've got the bedroom quarters, and then you've got the robot quarters, and then you got the kitchen and all that stuff. Like, yeah, if, the, if there was one thing in that behind the scenes that I wish they had done is to show them you know like a a screen by screen and they show house one going into house two yeah uh something like that uh it may have not have been that seamless they just may have made it look like that where i don't think there's like any point where a camera moves from one house and ends up in the second house or anything like that but uh and then like all the other stuff is in a studio at pinewood Mm. all that all that below ground stuff uh um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, amazing how they, how they made all that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would probably do the ex machina house. Was the, uh, the waterfall and all that stuff, was that in the same location? Like the, the Norway location? I, I'm, I'm assuming it was in Norway. I don't know where it is relative to the houses though, That's but that is a unique, stuff. that is a unique place, uh, that. Uh, I would love to visit someday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So what do we have left to say about Parasite or Ex Machina? Well, mm. I think I've said this already, but um, that Ramdam dish in Parasite sure is easy to make. And you, whether or not you have a fancy steak to put in it, it's tasty. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to have to do this at some point. My wife and I have made it probably once a week for the last, I don't know, six or seven weeks. And we've tried all sorts of different add-ins. Like last week, she put a bunch of spinach and mushrooms in hers. And, oh, that sounds uh, amazing. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, it's good stuff. That has nothing to do with the movie. But Hey, I got a question about uh, the, the one guy. So we figure out what happens to the housekeeper after she gets shit canned. What happens to the driver? Do we know? Fuck him. <clears throat> no, he, Is he, he the he, only one that just gets away scot-free from all this stuff? I think so. You mean okay. the one that gets fired for the panties? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the car sex. <laughs> and the car sex. <laughs> I think he gets away scot free, yes. Okay. So he's the only one that just uh kind of disappears. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, bef- before the housekeeper, everything is 
is there's no hang up to that, but the housekeeper obviously has the hang up of her husband lives down into the, in the depths of the house. Yeah. And, um, and I imagine she spends the next two or three days, like, how am I going to go and explain that I need to get back in the house and get down there and get him out without anybody knowing and everything. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I wonder if she's like keeping an eye on the house and waiting for them or she knows their schedule and she knows that they're going to be out of town and camping or whatever. Yeah. And she just says, okay, even though it's pouring rain right now, I'm going to show up and figure out what's going on. By the way, I'm even more confident now of my interpretation uh, in Parasite of the fact that they're the first shot is those shoes and, and the, and the people, you know, they're all living underneath those shoes and they're leaving, mm. and they're, and, and basically they're, they're beneath people's feet. They're, you know, that's how low they are and everything. Uh, because in Snowpiercer, which I saw over the weekend again, be a shoe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's uh the Tilda Swinton speech where she's saying that, you know, I, I'm the top of the head and you guys are the shoes or whatever. I'm the hat and you're the, and you're the shoes. It goes a long way, uh, uh, of, of, you know, sort of branching that theme out and everything. Ooh. And Snowpiercer has a lot of this class issue, uh, stuff going on in it as well. It's, I mean, they're not the same movie Snowpiercer and Parasite, obviously, but there's a lot of the same type of themes in it for sure. Yeah, and um, I keep hearing on social media that some of his other movies that I haven't seen yet also have these same themes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm very curious to dive further into his work um, moving forward. Yeah, um, we have a. By the way, we have a great uh, Final Four director crew here too: George Miller, Ridley Scott, Bong Joon Ho, and Alex Garland. That's yeah, a, that's pretty good. That's a <laughs> that's really good. Yeah. Um, Okay, out of these two, what are we picking? Who wants Guys, to go first? I'm going to pick Ex Machina. Mm, I'm picking Parasite. You're picking Parasite over Ex Machina. I am. I am. That movie has your heart. That movie has my brain's heart. If that makes sense, <laughs> a movie that's like a, that's her, a really good way to say it. A movie like her had my heart. A movie like Ex Machina has my brain, but Parasite has my brain's heart. And uh, you know, uh, I can see myself watching Parasite dozens of times in the future, and I can see myself watching Ex Machina several times in the future. Really, it's just oh, wow. it's a hair. It's paper thin. It's. I'm going to keep talking, trying to convince Barrett to go Parasite, even though I don't Here's the thing. Gonna... I've voted against Parasite, I think, a couple of times at this point. But I, I've i I've come around because I've, I've watched different scenes and I've, I've watched it with different eyes, too, uh, after you guys have talked about it uh, in different ways. I told Chris, as soon as we walked out of this, we saw this uh, you know, when it came to town. And I told you, this is a movie that I'm going to have to wrap my head around. I know I love it, but I don't know exactly why I love it so much. And, and I, I think I love it for like 30 different ways, um, many of which you guys have talked about. Um, Ex Machina. 
Ex Machina moves on to the championship against the Martian. You can't flip me off with a pen. I'm flipping you off with my fictional middle finger of ink. Uh, <laughs> look, I don't, I, I don't want Parasite to be gone either. I think technically any of these four movies could be the winner, and I wouldn't be upset about yeah. any of them being in there. Uh, and then you have to like. I don't, I don't know how anybody is so sure uh, when it comes to matchups like this. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the Martian, we did that pretty easily. I mean, but like still when you put them up, you put those two movies up together, you're like, I mean, that's, that's just, that you just go on your first blush a lot of times, unfortunately. Yeah. It's like, there's no real math here to tell one way or the other why one movie seems better. I think I, I used the rationale that Jeremy did in that I will I have and will watch Ex Machina dozens of times and I'll watch Parasite probably a few times less than that. Even though I love Parasite. Yeah. Okay. On the championship. So we have um <laughs> and you and you and you 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 uh, on the championship, we have the ability to chat on our app here, our Zencaster app. And I'm wondering if we can all load in our pick and um and then we can we can announce the winner from that. Interesting. Agree. You want us to do this now or are we just are we, so we don't I, have anything else to discuss, do we? No, I don't think so. So what I'm what I'm saying is everybody type but don't press return yet. Shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm like, don't click off. Okay. So this is, this is, this is still, this is still in, in doubt. Uh, and we're going to go three, two, one. When I say, and when I say one, we're going to press return, Barrett. Okay. Hang on one second. Cause I, I actually, I'm still still thinking about this. this uh, don't press return. Like I just literally did. Like, oh, I'm such an idiot. When did uh, X Machina come out? 2015? Uh, 2014, I think. So these are both mid-decade movies. We both had time. Or we've had time to live with both of them <laughs> for a long time. Yes. We have made an informed decision for sure. <laughs> I would say so. So, have you already typed yours in, uh, Chris? I've typed mine in. I'm, I'm hovering over the enter key, and when I say three, two, one, okay, I'm ready. Three, two, one. Yeah! Uh, <laughs> uh, it, talk about razor thin, man. So. Barrett and Jeremy both went The Martian. I went Ex Machina. The winner of the best of the decade is The Martian. The Martian! <laughs> oh, oh, man. Uh, um, I'm going to watch it tonight to celebrate. That would have been even better if I hadn't voted early. Like, I see what you're going for now, and uh, I apologize for ruining it. That's okay. I should have said right off the bat, don't press return. Uh, but... 
either way, we still had some suspense there. If if both you and Barrett had gone in, I would have said, fuck it, let's start this over and just say what we want and then whatever. But uh, uh the Martian takes it over X Mine. It's hard to vote against the Martian, right? It's just it the movie is solid in every single way. Uh, Ex Machina is too. I think Parasite is is as well. I think Mad Max Fury Road might be the weakest of the four. Mm. Uh, strangely enough, yeah. You know what? Uh, what tipped it for me is that uh, one has a dystopic ending, and I guess I'm just done with bad news right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one has an exhilarating ending that I always get suspenseful and ecstatic for and Mm -hmm. i need that and i am going to go back to that many many times in times of need so i I think that's it they're they're very very close though uh yeah for sure um so the martian uh and now at the beginning of all of this i thought that it had a really good chance of winning uh the whole thing i thought that there were um, other movies that would maybe get into the final four. Like I thought maybe social network would get yeah. there. Parasite was just such a, a bulldozer on that one. Uh, the one question I wanted to ask you guys is now that we have collectively come up with a winner, is this your individual favorite movie of the decade? Oh, that's a good question because by nature of this exercise, it's not necessarily the case, right? Mm-hmm. Automatically. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you that, that my, my movie all the way up until the end got there. Ex Machina was, is my favorite of the decade. Mm. Just, mm. It's just everything about it. I love. So, I mean, um, mine would be probably Roma, um, mm-hmm. but Martian would be like a one, a one B situation. Uh, I think that's sure. the first time I've ever voted against the Martian was in the championship. And I think uh, so. ex machina, I did pick, I think I picked that every single time. If I didn't, <laughs> if I didn't, then I'm a fucking liar about ex machina being my, <laughs> you want to know how pitiful I am. My shit went out in the first round. My favorite probably is the master. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you just have weird taste. You have that. You got Paul Thomas Anderson's got you by the ball sack. I got mm-hmm. the I got the first two letters right. The ma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. The ma and ex ma. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think right. I, if it were just me doing this bracket, uh, the master probably would have gone up against the Martian for the final four, and it probably would have gone against Social Network. Mm. Um, so I was looking at, uh, I was looking at the IMDB scores of these movies that we had, uh, it was about the sweet 16. I think the highest ranked IMDB one is inception. I think that was at 8.8, huh. uh, parasite 8.6. Uh, we ended up voting in an 8.0 into the, uh, the winner right there. So mm. in general, people love the Martian, uh, Ex Machina, I think might be at a 7.7. Yeah. 7.7. That's very, the, the, in fact, when we got to the sweet 16, the only movie that was below 7.5 was hell or high water of all movies. What? Yeah. 7.4. Um, huh. uh, which I, which I think is, is too low for that movie. I don't know what people are not responding to that make that, that score a little bit low. It's still very good score. 
Yeah. But like it does, it seems too low for a movie of that caliber. But uh, we had a bunch of stuff in here, IMDb wise, that was 8.0 and higher. Uh, so I think we did pretty well, uh, uh, all things considered. There may we have been some good ma- taste. There may have been some matchups here, here or there that went a different way than what the masses would have gone. But I think we did a really good job here. Yeah, I think I'm, so I'm too. Really happy with it. Yeah, I'm all right me, with it. Let me suck our own dick. Wait. I don't <laughs> <care>. <laughs> uh, now that that is over, um, we've got some recommends and warns. Totes amaze balls. There, great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Oh baby. Yeah. Like that. We've, we've had some time to probably watch a few things. Uh, oh fairly yeah. Recently. What do you guys uh, got? Well, in keeping with uh, this, uh, the the theme of our our championship, I have recommends from two directors who were in the final four. Oh, cool. Um, mm. Uh, my first recommend is devs. I know that everybody in the world has seen this except me and maybe you guys. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I stayed away from it, but I remember in one of our podcasts, uh, the, when I saw the trailer for this, I was, before I even knew Alex Garland was, uh, part of it, I was like, is this annihilation two or something? Cause everything looked very Alex Garland in it and everything. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, his name pops up on the on the uh screen i had not watched this um uh and i just heard great things about it and i ended up watching it i watched it in like a couple days it's eight episodes uh it's on hulu uh nick offerman is in it he plays this like kind of uh hippie i don't know bill gates type of guy um who is uh has this he has this special wing of his company called devs that is dedicated to something nobody knows what they do and um one of the characters at the beginning of the movie the movie it is kind of like a movie uh <laughs> eight ep- eight episodes all di- written and directed by Alex Garland um oh uh, he wrote it too he wrote and directed it and uh the one of the characters in the movie gets uh uh he is he's basically promoted to this to this uh wing and we get to see the inside of it and apparently nobody really knows even the people inside really know what they're what they're trying to find here but the code that is in there is searching for something specific and um and so like the first episode is going to wrap you in because there's so much shit that happens. And, uh, and like, it, it's, it's one of those things where like, Whoa, fuck. I mean, what the hell? I, I, I don't even, I want to spoil it because it's, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, Oh shit. This is fucking serious. Um, the movie, I mean the movie, I keep saying the movie, it feels like a movie though. Mm. Uh, the series, uh, 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 also stars uh, Sonoya Mizuno, who was the Kyoko character in Ex Machina. Nice. Um, and um, and uh, and uh, Allison Pill is in it. Uh, I always yeah. like to see Allison Pill. Um, uh, but uh, the the concept that they're going for in this mm-hmm. is something that you may have you may have read stuff about this before. But it's getting to a, a, a certain aspect of science that's really fascinating. 
Hmm. And uh, and the movie, uh, the movie. I'm going to keep saying it's the movie, and the movie <laughs> is well shot. Uh, uh, it's just beautiful to look at. It's going to wrap you up. You're going to watch the. You're going to watch that series in like no time at all. That's I crazy. I, I I know you can't say much about it to not spoil it, but I still I, I had no idea what this this movie slash series was about. And mm-hmm. the trailer doesn't really give anything away besides it looking like an Alex Garland thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely got a good cast in it. All you really know is that Nick Offerman is, he's, he's, you know, that he had his, his daughter died at an early age. And this, this devs, this devs place that he's built has a giant statue of her outside of it. And you know, it may have something to do with her, but you don't know exactly if it is, or if it's just a monument to her or what, uh, the monument that they've put in there, I think is definitely for effect. It's supposed to kind of freak you out a little bit. And, uh, and it does, they always, there's a, there's an interesting thing that goes throughout that series where something will happen and they always find a way to get back to devs and this big, huge statue of this little girl. Hmm. And they always seem to find to make a way, make it creepier than the last time you saw it in every, every, in every episode that it goes along and everything. So that's interesting. That reminds me, you, you watched the entirety of Watchmen, right? Chris, the series. No, I only saw the first episode. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of getting a bunch of series done that I haven't had a chance to watch. Like I'm in succession right now. I'm watching all of that. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think? I know. About I remember this? you. I remember you saying you didn't like this. Well, I didn't like the pilot. Uh, I've had it recommended so many times since then. Uh, I had but, somebody recommend it to me, and I was like, "All right, I'll go ahead and watch this." And you were right. That first episode and that first season, even, are like, eh, I mean, it's all right. I mean, I've seen stuff like this before. I've seen, you know, I've seen stuff like this before. The second season is where it starts getting really good. Um, all right but no, every, I'm not, but you agree that everybody is an asshole right yes that okay. it's hard <laughs> it is hard to root for these people uh there are there are moments in this show that i'm actually actively rooting for them to fail yeah uh that may be that may be a design of the show it may not be for all i know but there are moments in this where you're like you should go to jail for this you should probably not be a free person doing stuff like this and 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 the show goes along and says oh you know it's rich people being rich and stuff and it's like oh you kind of guys are i hope you get i'm already at the breaking bad stage like the the (laughs) season five of breaking bad with these people like just uh, send them all to jail these guys are fucking dicks but that said uh it's it's exhilarating when uh, the the show gets into the the teeth of the wheelings and dealings of uh, like corporations that are this huge with billions of dollars to just blow on anything they want to and everything. So there's some some really cool things in it. Well, just to tie up that point that I made for for Watchmen, they do a very similar thing from the first episode for Watchmen of a uh, a, a very unique looking statue of Ozymandias uh, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in Watchmen that, that keeps up through the season. So that's very intriguing to me. Yeah. Anyway, All right. go, Jeremy. Um, are we going to do 
more than one round? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I have... There's, okay. Then my recommend is going to be a 2007 movie I had never seen until recently called Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Oh, I've seen this. <clears throat> oh. By Sidney Lumet. Um, Lumet. Whatever you want to say. I think it's Lumet. Um, so it's Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman are the main players here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and well, one of the unique things about this movie is that it keeps popping forwards and backwards in time to show you different people's perspectives leading up to what essentially is this jewel heist. Um, <clears throat> Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman's parents, uh, which is Meryl Streep and uh, Born Ultimatum. Um, <laughs> Brian Cox? <laughs> not Brian Cox, the other guy. Uh, <laughs> Davis Rathairn? No, the other old guy who waits at the facility. <laughs> I'm going to go through all these white guys that are... <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones? It's not Tommy Lee fucking Jones. Chris it's, Cooper. It's Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Albert Finney. <laughs> we knew so. he'd land on the old white guys eventually. <laughs> it's Albert Finney and Meryl Streep are their parents. Edward Norton. They, they own a jewelry store in a strip mall somewhere in the suburbs of New York. And Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman, for different reasons, are both really in need of money. And um, they decide to rob their own parents' jewelry store. And it doesn't go very well. And <laughs> that's really all I want to say about this. Um, Marissa Tomei is in it. She is Philip Seymour Hoffman's wife. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she is also sleeping with Ethan Hawke. What, four um, times? She's naked for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is really fucking good in this. And it's uh, he's not always played heroes, of course. At, like Mission Impossible 3, he's straight up the devil. But he's creepy and skeezy in this movie. Like he's doing lines of coke before his board meetings, and then he's skipping out on afternoon work to go to this like heroin whorehouse that doesn't have sex, but... I don't. It's a weird, it's a weird deal. This is part of why he needs money. Um, uh, but I thought all the performances were good. I was very engrossed in where the story was going to go, partially because of how it jumps around. Like the bank, the bank heist gone wrong is one of the first things you see, and then the movie keeps jumping backward in time to show you the days up to that by, from Ethan Hawke's perspective, and then from Philip Seymour Hoffman's perspective. Um, so it's two thumbs up for me. And, uh, I think I didn't check, but I hope that's not like an Island opinion. I hope it's not like trash that everybody said to avoid. No, no. I remember very well received. Okay, good. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it in forever, but I remember really, really liking it. Yeah. Uh, The whole thing is pretty scuzzy, right? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, (laughs) it almost reminds me of like, uh, like uncut gems. And in, in that kind of like maybe yeah I haven't seen that stuff like that yeah no I mean other than Meryl Streep and Albert Finney nobody's nobody's a good person here. Sidney Lumet uh, was doing good work all the way up until the point that he died. Like yeah. he, it, 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 a lot of the directors who are from the seventies just have lost their way and just they don't know how to make a good movie anymore. Scorsese is. Is is in that is in the group where that he can want he can still make good movies, but like Coppola, like sort of forgot I think, um, and Spielberg has sort of forgotten. Um, Rob Reiner, and, yeah, Rob Reiner, all these guys like uh, just don't seem when they make movies now it's like eh, William Friedkin can occasionally make something good, 
uh, in the modern times, but like mo- for the most part, you know, he was doing stuff like Jade and stuff like that. In the 90s. <laughs> but like, um, but like, uh, but yeah, he was making good movies all the way up until the point that he died. And uh, it's kind of an amazing feat. All right. I've got uh, one that I think we may have talked about just briefly before, uh, but never really got into. And I'd never seen it before. And Jeremy, you've seen this, I think. Mm. It's Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. I did see it. So this was uh, 2014. It was, geez, I I don't know what number of Jack Ryan movies this would have been. Hunt for Red October, uh, Clear and Present Danger, uh, the other Harrison Ford one, Patriot Games. Patriot Games. Uh, Some of All Fears. uh, And this maybe? That would be be the fifth one, yeah. Yeah, this would be the fifth one. And it's Chris Pine playing Jack Ryan. Now, this is Jack Ryan Origins. This is before uh, Hunt for Red October. This is before anything, really. It's when he's uh, in yeah, – well, actually, he's in school right now. He's, he's studying to get his Ph.D. Uh, he's, uh, he's going into, like, economics and stuff like that. Um, and he gets recruited by – well, actually, no, no, no. He's in the Marines. And uh, he gets uh, – as he's – He's been injured, and as he's recuperating, he gets recruited by Kevin Costner's character uh, to be a covert operative in the CIA while having a front of a desk job, like just an analyst, like stock analyst job. Uh, meanwhile, he is uh, had a relationship with his former doctor, which was weird, uh, Kira Knightley, uh, who does a very good uh, American accent in this, by the way. Uh, and ends up in a, a real relationship with her. So that part is a little bit uh, drag ass. Like uh, it, the, the setup takes a while for this movie. And in fact, I was watching with my family. My, my son's on a spy movie kick. And uh, we were like, you know what? Chris Pine, look, he's great. He's great in really everything. Keira Knightley's good. Uh, Kevin Costner actually is surprisingly good in this movie. <clears throat> we were like, yeah, whatever. Then uh, Kenneth Branagh shows up as the villain, the Russian villain. And you're like, hey, all right, Kenneth Branagh, we got some gravitas here. <laughs> uh, didn't, didn't realize that it was directed by Kenneth Branagh, by the way. Friend of the show, Kenneth Branagh. Friend That's of right. the show. Uh, and uh, from there, once it gets into where Chris Pine is called into, uh, where Jack Ryan is called into action to do a mission that has twists and turns and things like that, this gets into serious spy shit. This gets into like Cold War handoffs, pickpocketing, like all kinds of actual spy shit that I don't think I've seen in other Jack Ryan movies. Uh, it's usually been big old explosions. And, you know, even in Hunt for Red October, it's more about figuring out the problem. It's not like the actual, like, you know, uh, operative spy shit. This is operative spy shit. It's kinetic. It moves. It's really, really good. It's not outstanding. It's not up to the level of Hunt for Red October. But I think it's the second best Jack Ryan movie that I've seen. And I didn't realize. Beep, beep. What what are you going to put above that? Clear and Present Danger? Uh, Clear and Present Danger? I haven't seen Shadow Recruit, but Clear and Present Danger is high up for me. I would say it goes Red October, Some of All Fears, Clear and Present Danger, and then Shadow Recruit can duke it out with Patriot Games. Now, well, wow, of, wow. Now, most people deal. would put Patriot. Now, you're the you're the Jack Ryan expert. 
but expert, uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, you uh, know the most about them of the three of us, but like most people would put Patriot Games as second, right? Like that's super highly regarded. I thought. I don't, I don't think know that's about necessarily that. true. I don't know about that. At least if you're now, if you're a movie fan and you think Jack Ryan movies, then yeah, you gravitate towards the Han Solo ones. But if you're like a fan of the books, um, I think some of all fears is up there pretty high, even though it, it drastically changes. Part of the trouble for me connecting to shadow recruit is that it is not based on any of the books and it's a completely fictional story. And uh, Tom Clancy was very good at writing tight, taut, you know, political thrillers. And I think there's a good reason to follow the blueprint set by him in the books. Um, so this one was harder for me to get into despite loving Costner, Chris Pine and Keir Knightley uh, as actors. It just felt like an imitation. Did you like Brana as the villain? Sure. Yeah, sure. Now I'm much more interested in this. I think it's Tom Hardy is going to be in without remorse, which is <clears throat> if you remember the, um, Clear and Present Danger and Patriot Games, uh, there was a character uh, Willem Dafoe played called uh, uh, Clark, and he's basically yeah. an assassin. Uh, Liev Schreiber played him in Some of All Fears. Without Remorse is that character's origin story after some drug dealers kill his girlfriend, and he goes Batman. He goes Commando. He starts making his own silencers and targeting the criminals in the city. And Jack Ryan's dad is a Baltimore, Baltimore uh, detective who is trying to hunt down this killer, this vigilante. Huh. Uh, and that's just been pushed to 2021, I think. But that is one I'm really looking forward to uh, because, again, Jack Ryan as a character doesn't do anything for me. Jack Ryan in a story that Tom Clancy wrote, I'm all over it. Interesting. Uh, have you watched any of the Krasinski stuff? I haven't seen any of it yet. I have this weird Amazon. I have not watched any Amazon original series, and it's, I have no reason for that whatsoever. But <laughs> no. I think the hang-up there is, again, it's not based on any of the books. It's, it's yeah. completely original storytelling. So your connection to the books is really the the, the main thing that, that holds your attention to these. Okay. Yeah, I don't I care about – listen, if you made it John Krasinski playing some new character, it probably appealed to me more than calling him Jack Ryan because uh, I, I can get plenty of world – adventure ass beating espionage from born and mission impossible and James Bond. And there's just something very uniquely American political thriller about Tom Clancy's work. Hmm. Um, if you were to go the IMDB route on the rankings for this hunt for an October, obviously would be, would be top Patriot games and clear and present danger, both at 6.9. So bear hmm. was right. Uh, the sum of all fears is at 6.4. And uh, the Shadow Recruit is at 6.2. Hmm. I need to watch Shadow Recruit again. Yeah. But no, I understand that, that hang-up, especially if you are if you are connected to the, the books. But Pine is really good in this. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he's always really good. But the it surprised me with the, the operative stuff because he's freaked out because he's it, it shows all aspects of what I know of Jack Ryan as a character. He gets out of the first situation, literally, Kevin Costner's character says, because he's a Marine. He has no experience whatsoever. He said he's only spent three weeks on the farm. Like, he doesn't know. He's freaked the hell out after he does this. And then he gets put into action. And then he has to remember his training. 
And then he has to remember there's a scene where he goes through they're on a plane and he's like, oh, they're trying to figure out the location of this, this certain uh, item. And he's like, okay, well, this is, this happens because of this, go look at this. And another analyst says, okay, well, this is this. And he puts all these connections together showing his brain. And it's uh, very, very cool. I think. Listen, I would watch Chris Pine in an all Chris Pine shot for shot remake of psycho. Uh, that replaced Marion Crane. Like he is, he is at the very top of my list of actors that I really want to watch what they're doing. He's just so charming and engaging. Uh, I may have to give this one another look. Yeah, right. Uh, the the thing that really appealed to me about Jack Ryan um, is the story that Fred Thompson tells in Hunt for October, and I don't know if this was in the book or not, but it sounds very much like it came straight out of the book about him uh, actually going through military training. Like the, the captain of that ship is like, I don't, I don't care for this guy wearing, you know, a uniform in here when he's, when he's just CIA and he's like, and Fred Thompson sits there and tells him like, you know, this guy went through all this bullshit. Uh, he was actually, he did military training and then he got super hurt doing something. I can't remember. Yeah, what it was. did his well, fourth gets, year from the hospital. Did his yeah. fourth year from the hospital. And he's like, well, you can do what you want, Jack, but, uh, you know, but uh, you might want to give that kid a break or something like that. Um, and uh, that, that little backstory that he tells is a fascinating part of that movie. And it makes you root for Jack Ryan in a way that you weren't before, maybe. Yeah, that's the thing, man, because in, in this movie, he's a Marine first and he actually gets shot out of the sky in a helicopter. That's why he goes to rehab in the first place, can barely walk. And uh, Keira Knightley is his is his physical therapist. Neither one of them are doctors, by the way, uh, when this movie starts. She's in training. Uh, he's ABD, all but dissertation for his uh, Ph.D. And later on in the movie, after it, it advances, uh, they're both doctors. And at some point, uh, somebody calls over to the two of them as they're running away and they're like, doctor. And they both turn around and go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and it shows like all the facets of it. And that's why it, it's, it's very fascinating to me. Uh, this movie it's, you know, it's not an A plus or anything like that, but it really, really surprised me. Uh, how much I enjoyed it. Hmm. All right, everybody. It's time to talk about movie. Yeah, movie. baby. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, movies been uh they've been putting up some movies. Uh they they had this trauma thing for for the last month. Yeah. And so there were movies like Frightmare and uh and Surf Nazis Must Die on Ooh. Ooh. And if there's any now look, I, this is one of those rare moments where I we're in a we're in a we're talking about movie and I may have to say that these two movies are bad. <laughs> take your chances sometimes and frightmare wasn't a good movie surf nazis must die must die sounds like something that should be very fun now if there's anything that the 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 movie is uh you know there is sort of a ahead of its time kind of thing where it's talking yeah. about how there's actual nazis still uh in america and everything but they set up this thing where i guess I guess that there was this big earthquake. They keep referring to the quake. Yeah. And yeah, it was like a 8.7 killed a million people or something like that. Yeah. And I guess as a part of this, there's been these factions of surfers uh, 
taking over beaches in California. Yes. And the, the bad, the, the, the bad ones are the Nazis, but there's also like two or three other gangs that are on the, on the beach fighting Including for territory. Ninja. Including ninjas, yes. <laughs> Ooh. And it sounds fun, uh, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. This is a very 1987 trauma exploitation type of thing. Mm-hmm. But it also, like, it has a very black exploitation, actually, or in, in, yeah, in just it does. general exploitation uh, type of uh, outcome that doesn't justify 90% of the movie, but it does. No. That that last five minutes or so is fun as hell. It's bonkers. You're right. That last five <laughs> minutes. Now, look, here's the deal. I understand that these movies weren't very good, but I also am always looking for something different. Yeah. And that's what movie offers you. And I would never see Surf Nazis Must Die if it, were, it wasn't for a service like this. And who knows? It could have been great, but it, it wasn't. But I will tell you, there was a movie that was good on there, and it was called uh-huh. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh, uh, I want to see this so bad. Uh, it's It was made by an Iranian filmmaker, uh, um, and I can't call her name right now. Anna um, Lily Amirpour. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's a it's a very different take on a vampire flick, um, and uh, and I and at first I was like, really, they got away with this in Iran? How do you make this movie in Iran? Like it doesn't seem, but it was made in America. It was yeah. just you know, it, it's just that there are uh, there. I think it. I think I think the director's Iranian. And I don't know if everybody, every all the actors might be too, as, as far as I know. But it's pretty clear, though, that it's shot uh, in another place. It's shot in California, I think. Hmm. Uh, but um, but yeah, it's it's so uh, it's shot beautifully. Uh, the 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 uh, main vampire in the movie uh, is is this just this mysterious woman who is a girl who walks home alone at night and whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, it turns into this sort of a love story thing and it's mesmerizing the way this movie's made and and shot and everything and uh and it's a high recommend from what's on that's on the service right now it's hard to make a unique vampire movie anymore you know mm-hmm. yeah this is a vampire who loves herself some like 1980s tunes and everything and <laughs> all right and, and there's like a big there's a scene where like the the main guy and her are in this are in this room together and there's this big like 80s like soundtrack you know playing but it's a static shot of them getting closer and closer together and it's it's great hmm. um uh you wanted to talk about art history yeah let's talk about art history so art history is a movie from a director that i really dig joe swanberg uh who is known for and I don't think it's even a pejorative term anymore mumblecore mumblecore mm-hmm. used to be kind of like a catch all for any indie flick that maybe didn't have a budget uh had kind of some improvised lines um some looseness to the plot uh and and I think it's it's become a genre now that I really dig I think mm-hmm. I like the free form stuff I like uh I've mentioned the show Easy quite a bit that's on Netflix uh, that Swanberg helped uh, create. And this is, uh, I guess, kind of middle to early Swanberg. 
2011, and it's a very insular story. It's mm-hmm. got a cast of what four uh, characters. Yeah. Um, and it's got a very, very simple concept. This director is shooting a sex scene, a sex movie, some sort of short that is two people having sex uh, in different ways over and over and over again and developing a relationship too, talking about previous relationships, talking about uh, their pasts and uh, where they're at right now. And it's shown from so many different perspectives. It's, it's very dreamlike. It, to me, it's very European, actually. Mm-hmm. This guy is filming his, quote, girlfriend having sex with another actor, but in the auspices of acting. This is mm-hmm. in a movie. Yeah. Uh, so they are literally having sex, and the sex is graphic. Uh, but, you know, it's supposed to be impersonal. <laughs> it's supposed <laughs> to be impersonal. Uh, and, and he keeps it impersonal and it's very, very fascinating. And I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything, but the ending of this movie, I think makes it totally worthwhile. I laughed and I, I kind of was shocked and I absolutely uh, loved the ending of this movie. It does have a great ending. It's one of those movies and I've seen, I've seen a couple of these over the past few years, where the there is a the movie is shooting uh the movie is about making a movie and when they're done with the scene a lot of times when they're done shooting the real life quote unquote is you don't know if they're shooting or if they're if they're not shooting at the yeah. time yeah. so like they get done with this one scene and you see Swanberg who plays the director in this movie yeah. Go off into another room to start editing it. And the couple stays behind and they sit there and talk. And then it starts to, it starts to get confusing for them even because they're in this, this mode where they're like talking about their past relationships and everything. And, and, you know, and then they sort of go, and, and there's a point where he's like, he almost kisses her. And he's like, oh, man, he see, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm just like really confused. And she's like, ah, yeah, I get it. Blah, blah, blah. It's no yeah. big deal. Um, so there's a fascinating like movie within the movie type of thing going on. Here. It's and you're right. It's a bizarro version of living in oblivion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, uh, but yeah, that is a very interesting movie. Like you said, it's hard to recommend because it's like there's not much going on, really. But it's a fascinating kind of look into the psychology of a shoot like this. Yeah, and 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 intimacy and relationships, the 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 portrait of intimacy and what constitutes what is a violation of the relationship that the director and the actress has is fascinating to me. But if that if that stuff gives you the heebie-jeebies, <laughs> it'll give you the heebie-jeebies. I mean, I I, I mean, you guys are making me want to at least take a look. <laughs> at least in the beginning yeah suits. there's if if you want nudity you got it in this one that's uh there's lots of nudity in it <laughs> i'm the, not the saying entire... i want nudity i totally want nudity <laughs> yeah, the yeah, entire yeah, thing yeah. is a sex scene basically yeah 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 they, the guy who was in uh, uncle kent 2 which i saw on movie a few months ago is the is the actor that's in the um in this movie he sure does have a stable that he works with 
mm-hmm. uh, because uh, one of the other ones is uh, the director of Death Note. Uh, yeah, yeah, Adam Wingard. Adam Wingard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's the like the assistant director, I think. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, fascinating movie, and uh, all this stuff can be found on movie, and 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 you know, I've talked about two movies. I I. I, I definitely would somewhat recommend, if not fully recommend, two movies that I would not recommend. But still, you have that kind of choice on the service, and that's that's why we tout it all the time. Well, this is the time to do it. We're all stuck at home. We're all just kind of hanging out. We're all watching content. This is the time to catch up on stuff. This is a curated service uh, that shows you cinema that you would not get access to otherwise points you in the right direction or interesting directions. Movie.com slash CinemaSense gets you 30 days free, full month, free, free of charge, no money, free. That's that's free. And that's mm-hmm. 30 days. And that's a free, lot free, of free. movies. Free, free, free. <laughs> and it's amazing. We we talk about it a lot because we love it. Um, we can't recommend it enough. Mubi, dot com slash CinemaSense. 30 days free. 30 Thanks. Great. Um, we're continuing recommends and Let's warns. do it, baby. Uh, a few weeks ago, I offhand was like, you know, people were just saying Kingdom of Heaven director's cut is just great for some reason. And oh, boy. It's hard to believe that it's great. And um, I, of course, <laughs> have this movie. I bought it uh, a, a while back. I've got the director's cut. It apparently has, it has three different versions. It has the theatrical director's cut and a, and a roadshow version that has like the intermissions and stuff in it. Uh, I obviously watched the, just the director's cut. I don't care about intermissions, but it's like over three hours. It's like three hours and 20 minutes long. I did not enjoy the theatrical cut of this, which is an hour less. Um, hmm. And, uh, and, but I had just been hearing it was good. So I popped it in one night. And uh, all that extra time that they put in there makes that movie very good. Really? Okay, remind yeah. me, this is about the Crusades? It's the Crusades. Um, uh, it's about Orlando Bloom's character, who's basically a nobody, but is taken under his wing by Liam Neeson, who is... I Now, I couldn't quite figure this out i may have to on a on a viewing way way deeper into the future uh i'll i'll figure this out but he could be orlando bloom's father but i'm not sure if that i mean at least they have that kind of relationship in the movie where he wants to take him under his wing and turn him into a warrior and there's a faction of the crusades that wants to go and immediately attack Muslims and kill them immediately as a, as sort of a, a a preemptive attack. And then there's another group of crusaders who are like, this is not what we are signing up for. This is not what we want to do. So there's this, there's the, there's an actual like disagreement in this, in the crusades as to whether, how they should approach uh, their their jobs and everything at center of the movie is Jerusalem and uh, they the the Catholics have control of Jerusalem and the Muslims definitely would like to have uh, control of it but there's not there's no real like there doesn't seem to be a spark to fight just yet about it or anything there everybody's sort of keeping the peace 
Unfortunately, there's this faction of the Crusaders who want to do these attacks and everything, and they're sort of the spark for this whole thing. Hmm. Uh, the The movie basically uh, uh, focuses on Bloom and how he becomes a leader of these people. And, um, and some of it, I will say if there's one flaw in the movie, and this is, again, this is essentially my first viewing of it because it's the director's cut and I had not seen the director, the, the theatrical since it came out. Uh, Orlando Bloom himself is not a kind of character that uh, like in the way they've developed him that I really truly believe he's this group's leader. But by the end of the movie, he's very much in control. <laughs> and the battle that they have in Jerusalem at the end is fantastic. It's some of the best battle stuff, uh, like large scale battle stuff I've seen in a long time. Huh. Um, because there's strategy involved and there's like, you know, sort of, like you know, I, I will always enjoy a movie that t- tells you tactics right off the bat and they execute those things and, or there are surprises in it. Uh, but those surprises aren't something where you're like, Whoa, what the fuck is that? And then they just, and they just, you know, go to the next thing. This really has them like that battle at the end is great. Um, and there's even an, and the ending of this movie is, is a, a great, it's just great. It's just, uh, the way that the, these, these two sides, are are battling and what they end up deciding at the end is fantastic. The movie come out 2005. Uh, it was a 2005 movie. One of the, one of those bad <laughs> 2005 movies. Um, and, uh, and it was, it wasn't very good. I don't remember. Like I said, I don't remember much about it. I think there was more, there's more in this director's cut, uh, dedicated to the Ava green character who is, sort of a next in line in a, in succession to be the leader of Jerusalem and everything. And of course she's like supposed to be married to somebody else who's in that bad faction of the crusaders, but she falls in love with Orlando bloom and you know, they make the sexy time. How could you not? It's like, uh, it's like uh, the 300 sequel. (laughs) It's just like the 300 sequel (laughs) and the sin city sequel. Um, Both uh, of which have subtitles I forget. Uh, a Dame to Kill For and what was the other? Rise of the Empire? Yeah. Um, rise of the Skywalker. Rise, yeah, yeah. No, it's The Rise of Empire. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, um, I, I would say one day, if, you're, if it's like 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, pop this in, watch it. And you will not be disappointed. Obviously don't watch this like at 10 o'clock at night or some shit like that. Watch this somewhere. Like if you, if you have some, some time to kill, I, 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 I think you guys will both love it. Okay. All right. All right. I'm down. That's pretty strong. You ready for me? Yeah. Go for for it. Are you ready for me? (laughs) Um, Flipping channels. You know how I like to do. I look Uh for titles I've never seen with actors I recognize. Right. I stumbled the other day across a 1985 film starring Rutger Hauer called Flesh and Blood. Hmm. Now, Hmm. this is going to interest you maybe more than our listeners, because this is the first English language film for Paul Verhoeven. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wow. So after this, he goes on to make Robocop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Showgirls, Starship Troopers, and Hollow Man all in a row. 
so this is the one he made before RoboCop. This stars Rutger Hauer and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. This is Jennifer Jason Lee in this movie is the nakedest I've ever seen a person be in a movie. Really? Which is, which is not to say like percentage of nudity because she's 100% naked in most of the scenes. I mean, on screen time spent while nude or partially nude. I bet the costume maker for this movie like loved whenever her character came up in conversation because <laughs> that person didn't have to do shit. Yeah. Uh, so this is basically set in the early 1500s. I think it's in Europe somewhere. And there's these mercenaries and they attack a castle and some double crossing happens and Rutger Hauer gets double crossed and his, uh, the lady he impregnates give birth to a dead baby. Um, and so he's trying to dig a trench to bury the baby, the stillborn baby. And, <laughs> And in the trench, they find a statue of St. Martin. And St. Martin, they note, is the only saint who's depicted with a sword. And he has a sword. And there's like this theologian guy among them who who decides, because Rutger Hauer's name is Martin, and that this is a sign from St. Martin that we are to follow Martin, Rutger Hauer Martin, as our new leader. And then the next 30 minutes is them wandering around, um... And like weird shit happens, like a wagon wheel will fall off the wagon, the statue will move, and the sword is now pointing in a new direction, and they decide it's a sign from St. Martin that they should turn and go in this new direction. So the direction the sword is pointing kind of becomes their guide. Then they come across Jennifer Jason Lee and this group of uh, people who are on their way to a wedding. Jennifer Jason Lee is promised to marry this you know, Prince Hoppy Pants. I don't know what his name is. Um, and they get hijacked along the way by Rutger Hauer and his band of people. And they take Jennifer Jason Lee prisoner because they steal the carriage she's in and they don't know she's in there. And then they get to this campfire and they find her and everybody's like, let's rape her. And so th- the crew decides to pull off all her clothes. And at the last minute, Rutger Hauer is like, no, you're not going to rape her. I am. And so he walks over and he rapes her. Then he gets done and everybody else is going to take their turn. Um, and at the last, right before some guy's about to rape her, uh, Rutger Hauer kicks the fire and starts a fire and everybody scrambles. And so I guess that makes him a good guy. I don't mm, know. Um, mm. Then they find they find a castle. They, they sack the castle, kill everyone in it, take over the castle. And basically the next 30 minutes or so is him and naked Jennifer Jason Lee in the bath, in the bedroom, all these other various places. Then eventually the guy she was betrothed to, Huffy Pants, he shows up um, <clears throat> and he gets captured and there's this big like kind of hullabaloo she's naked for most of that too um i it's a record warn because i was i was don't don't take this the wrong way i was captivated by this movie i i had no idea where it was going to go um and i'd never seen anything like it you know but it's a warn because it's not good and it's got like you couldn't make this movie today because of how casual they are about the nudity and the raping and and the treatment of women um like it goes it's it's also very creepy because Jennifer Jason Lee she decides that her tactic to deal with this is she she wants it she's going to act like she wants it so she tries to stop Rucker Hauer from making love to her by saying that she wants it and she loves it and it's creepy and huh. i don't think you should necessarily watch this movie but i kind of think you should interesting it doesn't it's, sound very verhoeveny 
Oh, but see, it is, even though it's set like medieval. Like it, the nudity and the casual, you know, mistreatment of women is very verhoeveny uh-huh. <laughs> to me. Uh, it was a trip. By the way, I'm looking at the IMDb, not the IMDb, the Wikipedia. Jan de Bont was the cinematographer on Flesh Oh, and yeah. <clears throat> a young Jan de Bont. Mm, yeah. What is, uh, so with Verhoeven, yeah, is his good stuff good? You guys like Starship Troopers. I understand that. I don't. Uh, Basic Instinct is just, it's just trash. Showgirls, I like more than most, but it's obviously trash too. Robocop, I guess maybe his best thing. Like, is I he, think Total Recall. Total Recall is his best? In my opinion. Total it's gotta Recall be his best. probably yeah. his best movie. Um, yeah. Robocop isn't great. Uh, although it has satirical elements that I like and it doesn't make the movie good, but I, I like some of the satirical elements of that, of, uh, of a society that is so violent that they don't even care that, I mean, it's, you know, nobody really cares. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, total recall is great. Basic instinct. I, I mean, it's just, it's not a, it's not a good movie. That's, that's more along the guilty pleasure type of thing. Because yeah. the mystery is is trashy fun, um, it's a it's a kind of movie you'll never see in theaters again. Um, yeah. it it there, there's something to that movie that I can't put put my finger. No, there's on. some there's something to him, and I I think I understand why you said say Jeremy that you wouldn't recommend it, but you were captivated. Like you didn't you didn't necessarily like it. There's a lot of his stuff that I don't necessarily like. I've watched Showgirls. Multiple times. I've watched Basic Instinct multiple times. I've watched uh, Starship Troopers multiple times, even though I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, and But there's something that he's got cinematically. His his whole thing in, in an interview that I saw with him recently is he's he likes to, to provoke. He's a provocateur, right? And he, that's, that's his thing. And I guess there's a certain amount of that that, that uh, uh, appeals to, I don't know, pervs like us. Mhm, mhm, mhm. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you got one more? I do. I got a big old warn. You remember a a, a movie in 2011 called Hall Pass? I oh, do. Jesus. I saw it. I made it 20 minutes into this movie and I quit. You watched the whole thing? <laughs> Late at night, insomnia. Uh, uh, <laughs> could not get to sleep, and I was like, you know what? I need something to shut my brain off to. And uh, so this is. Uh, Owen Wilson and Jason Sudeikis, Jenna Fisher and Christina Applegate, two married couples uh, who go to uh, a couple's therapist. And the couple's therapist says, you know what? You guys should have a hall pass, meaning that the guy should go off and have sex with whoever they want to for a week uh, to reinvigorate their marriage because they're they're not they're not uh, satisfied in their marriages anymore. And I was like, you know what? It's the Fairley Brothers that directed this. Now, Fairley Brothers to me, and maybe to you, Chris, I don't know about you, Jeremy. Fairley Brothers to me are probably 60-40 stuff that I like. Like, I like me, myself, and Irene. I love There's Something About Mary. Uh, there's there's I, I actually really like Outside Providence. That's a kind of a deep cut. But uh, But then there's stuff like Stuck on You that I hate. Uh, Kingpin is, is really good, but like th- th- there's a lot to like. So I, I decided to give it a chance. This movie is even worse than you think. Uh, 
So obviously, Jason Sudeikis and Owen Wilson can't get laid. They go through all kinds of things where they they do drugs, and so they can't they can't uh, they get in trouble, and then they get drunk, and then they get into a fight, and then they're hung over the next day. So they basically waste. It's it's the worst version of Sideways that you can get. Like they waste <laughs> the week in the hotel room. Meanwhile, Jenna Fisher and Christina Applegate are getting it on like mentally with a couple of hotties that <clears throat> that they know. And they're like, well, maybe we should have a hall pass too. They're getting a hall pass. Why can't we have a hall pass? So they're getting interested in stuff like that. Eventually, Owen Wilson meets this super, super hot woman. I don't even know. I think Nikki it's uh, Whalen. Nick and, Nikki Whalen. Have you seen this movie, Chris? I have. Uh, where uh, And she's somehow interested in him. And so he makes a date with her. Uh, but in the meantime, he decides I'm going to take a, a a hot tub soak. And so he somehow decides uh, he's going to read the paper and he falls asleep in the hot tub like Jean-Paul in, uh, in uh, Seinfeld or, or oh, no, uh, Kramer. Kramer, Kramer in Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, and, he, and he falls asleep, but it's still hot. And so he crawls out and he, he asks for help. And there's two guys that come to his aid, but they're both naked. Now, the, the funny thing about this scene, they're both naked. They 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 show the the dicks right, but there there's a there's a black guy and a white guy, and the black guy is near Owen Wilson's face. He's not only hung, he's like semi turgid in this in this scene, and it lingers on it. And I'm like, I don't understand what the mentality was for this whole thing. Like it it, it sticks in your mind, but not in a good way. And then, like, you know, Owen Wilson points to the white guy and he's like, hey, can you come over by my face? Because he's got a tiny micro penis. This is the type of, of humor that this movie is going for. Uh, Owen Wilson uh, ends up turning down Alexandria Daddario. Uh, he ends up turning <laughs> down Nikki Whelan. Uh, uh, Jason Sudeikis uh, somehow has fake sex with somebody's mom that, uh, no, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, Alexandria Daddario's mom. Uh, who he has fake sex with, but then Christina Applegate has a wreck. It's it's a mess. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the it's one of the worst movies that I've sat through the entirety of. Oh, yeah, oh. that movie's terrible. I haven't seen it since it I, since it came out. There was actually one scene that came up on on cable the other day that I I flipped past it when they're in the house and they're talking and they think that they're, they don't, that they, you know, they think they're in a private place and there's cameras everywhere. Oh, and so yeah. they, so they're, so they talk about everybody in this real Frank way yeah. and everybody's listening in on them and everything. Uh, poor Christina Applegate. She's in so many bad comedies Yeah, and she's yeah. good too. She's, she's yeah. got chops. She was, I mean, you don't, you don't spend 10 seasons on married with children and don't pick up. I mean, even though you, you whatever you may say about that show, I mean, she was, she got a lot of practice in on what's that. Her best, what's her best movie. She's got a movie. I mean, Anchorman. It's probably oh, Anchorman has got to be her best movie. Uh, she was in Grand Theft Parsons, which was good. Uh, the sweetest thing is probably what you're uh, it falls in the category of what you're talking about. Yeah. Like a, I mean, a, a stupid movie 
that has a little bit of charm because of the two leads. But and and you know, I mean, I know Jeremy loves it. Vacation, she's in that, and then mm-hmm. there's like a couple of others on her resume that she just somehow pops up in. And you're like, oh man, she's good. Why does she always have to be in these bad comedies? God, you're right, man. Uh, the best is maybe don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was sort of her. Uh, uh, I'm not married with children, chick anymore. Yeah, kind of movie. Um, oh, but man. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Hall Pass. Was, Hall Pass is really bad. Yeah, yeah bad right. mom. Bad mom. She's like the the humorless character in Bad Mom. <laughs> Like, like, hey, now we got Christina Applegate in a movie that could be good. Let's put make her the the one everybody hates. <laughs> Do we have time for questions? We got plenty of time for questions. Question, question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. What is a good scene where one character must convince another character of doing something that they don't want to do? I was thinking about doing some writing and trying to find examples of this. Thought that might be a good question. Cheers. I love this question. Yeah, I do too. Uh, this came off of uh, Reddit, right? I believe so. Uh, yeah, uh, I think so. Off the subreddit. Um, yeah, I really like this question too. The best one that I came up with, I think, is uh, Samuel L. Jackson trying to get Chris Tucker in the trunk in Jackie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> He's got so many good questions. Yeah, like, exactly. why do I got to ride the trunk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, you must, you must be out of your damn mind if I'm going to get in that dirty ass <laughs> trunk. Um, and uh, Samuel Jackson's like got this whole scenario set up. You know, he's like, he's like, I've got to go to these these Koreans and I've got to sell these 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 weapons and everything. And uh, and, uh, I, and you know, I need you to be back in this trunk and, you know, pop up if I need you or whatever. And, 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 uh, and the, and the guy's like, why don't, why don't I just, why don't I just sit in the back seat or why don't, why don't I have the trunk open or whatever? He's like, he's like, you can't do that, man. The surprise is 50% of it. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and, uh, and so he's going through all this and I don't think Chris T- and Chris Tucker's high. Of course, you know, he's, he's like, he's like, man, I'm high, I'm home. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Samuel Jackson, uh, he's not going to do it normally, but Samuel Jackson has just gotten him out of prison, has, has paid his bail. And the only reason he's paid his bail is because he wants to execute him now. But, um, but he's very, like, he, he's very convincing about what he needs him for and, what what a giant favor this is for him that will pay off this this bail uh you know this bail uh, I guess debt uh that he has if you just go back in the trunk and be the surprise guy at this weapons thing then that pays off the thing it sounds plausible even though it's nonsense and uh and it's really funny too yeah. I mean, you, you, those two guys uh going back and forth uh with Quentin Tarantino dialogue is is fantastic God, his dialogue, his whole dialogue in that movie is amazing. That may be his best performance, right? Because he he goes from intimidating to like seductive to, you know, sympathetic to comedic to depending on the situation. He's such a chameleon. The way he talks to Jackie versus the way he talks to Robert De Niro's character or the way he dismisses Bridget Fonda's character it's just even the way he different. tries to like that first scene with Robert Forster, where he's like, even actually both scenes when he goes to get Beaumont's bail and when he goes to get 
uh, Herbale, like he's trying to intimidate that dude, like oh, yeah. Tom Cherry. Like he's trying to say, like, yeah, I'm the swinging dick between the two of us. And Robert Forster doesn't even blink, man. No. He's just like, I've seen tougher than you, dude. You're nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so that's a, such a good answer. I wish I'd have made it mine. <laughs> yeah, the, that scene, it, I mean, that's that, if there was any justice in this world, Jackie Brown would have gotten a lot more play back when it came out. And I, I think people were expecting Pulp Fiction Part 2. And, and they got something else it was just a mismatch in their mind what jackie brown was going to be and uh and in and samuel l jackson this is probably it's one of his top three performances he's ever turned in and he didn't get nominated for it um that pulp fiction is up there what else what uh uh uh, django unchained he's fantastic django so all three Tarantino. Uh, all three are Tarantino, yeah. yeah. Uh but but in Jackie Brown, I think Jackie Brown is is maybe the best of those three. Um yeah. he mainly due to all the things that you just said, Barrett, because there's so many different moods he's trying to convey uh compared to what's actually going on inside and uh everything like that. I mean, he and he's he's funny a lot of times, he's menacing, he's uh he's uh, sometimes sympathetic and you're like okay well maybe he's got a little bit of a heart after all and um he's just really really good it's one of the most uh it's maybe one of the most underrated performances ever you shot her (laughs) where'd you shoot her uh in the parking Uh, lot no where'd you shoot (laughs) <laughs> I like uh, when no, De Niro shot her in the face. He says, shot De Niro. Her in the stomach. He's like, no, where'd you shoot? Yeah. He asked, he asked De Niro if he slept with Bridget Fonda, and De Niro's like, hems and awes. And he's like, I didn't know if you know, she was with you or whatever. And he's like, but you still fucked her anyway, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, it was the part where you weren't going out with her that I felt more strongly about. <laughs> That's one of De Niro's last great ones too. I agree with that completely. That's completely like, um, like not like against type for him too. Like mm-hmm. he's, he almost never plays that dumb fall guy. <clears throat> yeah. Do you have another one, Chris, or you want to, um, I could, I, I'll, there are a couple others. The, the, there's, um, the, the sort of the break that Woodward has when he's talking to deep throat in the parking garage, um, the whole time he's been talking to deep throat in this movie, uh, Hal Holbrook is like, you know, you're going to have to find that out for yourself. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do your own thinking. You're going to have to do this on. And when we see the journey that Woodward and Bernstein go through in that movie where nobody's talking and the people that they do get to talk, they have to go through all these games to get them to finally say, the thing that they need them to say and all that. And then finally it gets to that last one where Woodward and Bernstein have gotten the story wrong. They've missed a detail and it's really fucked up the story. And he's got him one more time in this garage and Woodward is just looking for the answer now. And he just give me all the people at this point. I've got all this on my own. Give me the rest already. And when we, so at some point, Hal Holbrook once again he's like, "You're gonna have to find that out for yourself." And then, and, and then Woodward's like, "Look, I'm tired of these chicken shit games. I need to know what you know." And uh, and Holbrook, you see, a, you see a visible swallow 
uh when he when he says that and he's like all right get your pen and paper out i'll tell you i'll tell you i'll tell you what's going on and so obviously deep throat he's playing this game where he thinks that um as long as he's not directly giving information he's in the clear of giving woodward information and we all know that's bullshit you know, I mean, it, 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 it's this stupid game that, that we play to try to try to feel better about ourselves when it comes down to it. Well, I didn't tell them any of that. They found that out on their own. I just confirmed that type of thing. It's 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 the, it's the same thing. If nobody's going to see the difference, if you get caught later on. And yeah. uh, I really love the fact that he finally wears him down and gets to that point. So, yeah, he doesn't want to say anything. And finally, he gets him, gets it out of him. Um, and I have one other, and it's Marty trying to convince George to do the plan in Back to the Future, where mm-hmm. he's going to be in the car, George is going to open the door and punch Marty, um, and George doesn't want to do it, and and Marty's just like he, she wants to go with you, man. She just doesn't know it yet, and all this other stuff. And are you and sure that, I have to curse? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, like uh, you know, it, it. You just see that. It, it seems like it may be the first time that he and his dad have had a real heart to heart, even mm. though George is not a father yet. Yeah. It's a really great scene. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the other one that I came up with. Nice. What you got? I got two real quick. I got, uh, I didn't write it down, but in, um, <clears throat> in uh, Argo where um, they go before, uh, the bosses to get permission to do the Argo plan. And they give that whole spiel about, you know, this is where Cranston's like, this is the best bad idea we've got. Uh, that whole speech is great. But uh, the one that first came to me is a movie I've seen a hundred times and that's white Christmas. Mm. There's two um, incidents of uh, convincing somebody to do something they don't want to in one scene. And it's early in the movie after they come back from the war, their show is a mega popularity show uh, and they they're touring and whatnot. And they go backstage into the dressing room and they're changing between numbers. And Danny Kaye is begging Bing Crosby to come on this double date with them. And Bing Crosby's like, you only set me up with these idiots. You know, why is it so important to you anyway? This is where the line that I love comes from where Bing Crosby says, I'll get around to having a girl at some point. And Danny Kaye says, when what's left to you gets around to what's left to be God and what's left to be God won't be worth getting whatever it is you've got left. Um, <laughs> but basically he ends up pleading with Bing Crosby. I want you to get married. I want you to have nine kids. And even if you only spend five minutes a day with each kid, that'll give me 45 minutes where I can go get a massage or something. Um, and uh, so they finally argue about this and he comes to grips with it. And he's like, I'll go on this double date or whatever. Uh, 45 minutes going to be enough for you. And he's like, I'll, I'll tell you if I need more. Then the guy comes in with their tickets to the train and it comes out that Bing Crosby has pushed their train date because they got to go watch the sister act. This is the Haynes sisters. Um, and uh, now the shoe's on the other foot. And Danny Kay doesn't want to go. And he's like, a sister act. This is boring. There are dozens of sister acts. Why do we got to go do that? And it turns out that they're the sisters of Benny Haynes, a guy they were in the army with. And a line gets used many times in the movie and is used here to win the argument, and he says, let's just say we're doing it for an old pal in the Army. Uh, yeah. And that is what wins over Danny Kaye uh, to do that, uh, and and then later on to dress in drag and perform the sister's number with Ben Crosby and a whole host of other hilarious hijinks. <laughs> I still need to see this movie. I, um, I've i got it on uh, Blu-ray recently, so I will I will try to watch White Christmas at some point. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. It is a good one. I got two from the 90s. One is from one of my all-time favorite movies, 
and one is from a movie that's eminently forgettable. Uh, the first one is The Cable Guy. All right. Uh, cable so, uh, so all Chip Douglas wants to do is hang out with Steven. And so he takes him out to the, the, uh, uh, the satellite and everything. He does the big speech and everything. And he comes back and he's like, oh, we need to hang out and everything. And uh, Matthew Broderick's like, yeah, we should do that someday. And this is after he said, like, you know, uh, by the way, Sleeplessness in, in Seattle is on cable tomorrow. You should uh, invite Robin over. She'll come run it. He's convincing him, okay, maybe you could get together. <clears throat> Steven has no inclination whatsoever to ever see this guy again. He says, all right, well, that's really nice. Thanks a lot. And so he does that weird, creepy smile as he's getting out. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and then, and, and so then it's that series of, you know, hey, Steven, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up. Okay. He's got this crazy amount of messages, but he totally ignores him. He ghosts him. He says, Chip. You're out of my life. He doesn't even like acknowledge it. He doesn't call him back or anything like that. He has Robin over and uh, he's like, uh, all right, you know, have the little date and everything. And uh, Chip still wants to hang out with him. So what does he do? He cuts off his cable and does <laughs> one of the creepiest fucking things like of all time. He comes and knocks on the door and he's like, hi. And he's got the, the cut cable and everything just for effect and everything. And he finally convinced, he's like, you know, what do I have to do to get you out of here and get the cable back on? He's like, tomorrow night, you hang out. And he's like, whatever it takes. And that's what eventually makes him go to medieval times is, is making it medieval <laughs> is cutting that cable, even though it's just literally a switch all set. <laughs> anyway. And the other one from the nineties is a movie. <laughs> called Nick of Time. Yeah. Uh, Ooh. 1995 uh, starring Johnny Depp and Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken is the bad guy and uh, Johnny Depp is the clueless businessman. And so it starts off. So the, the conceit of the movie is that the movie's in real time. It's before 24 and all that stuff. And the events of the, the, the movie actually happen in real time. Uh, but the, the, the way that Christopher Walken and his partner get uh, convinced Johnny Depp uh, to assassinate a public figure, a governor, mm -hmm. is to flash. They don't even flash a badge. They literally go up to him at an airport and say, we're police officers. We need to talk to you. And he's like, huh? And they're like, come to this van. <laughs> 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 so the, this is this is girl, a good example <laughs> the woman sweeps up his his daughter he's just like okay and he goes to this van and they're like by the way we're going to kill your daughter if you don't try to assassinate the governor and within like maybe three minutes he's like okay and he's yeah. off and running <laughs> and it's the most ridiculous goddamn thing ever. He's just like, what? He's, he's, the, our van. he's the most clear. Come get in our van. He's like, we're police officers. He's like, okay. Anyway, oh. that's, that's, uh, a, that's a good example. Of, that's a of good what... example of making somebody do something with the easiest possible way. He is the most kidnapping someone's daughter. will do that. But, but they willingly go. That's a that's a I'm gonna I'm gonna take it that that's a bad uh, 
thing, not a good one. <laughs> no, when, I mean, don't do this. Don't don't follow that lead. But like, I'm just saying that. It, Are it you saying out. it's a good thing in the movie? Within the movie, yes, it worked okay. out. It, it was okay. very effective. I'm not saying okay. that what Chip Douglas did was good. I'm just saying that it worked out in the context of the movie. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm talking about nick of time. I'm saying that the whole that you like that part of the movie. Yeah, I think it's hilarious. It's a good example of what this question is is asking. Correct. Correct. Okay. It's okay. That's also kind of because a it's ridiculous, a, but you liked it. That's what that's what you're saying. You know me and liking ridiculous stuff. I do. I was just I was just I was just clarifying there because it sounded like uh it sounded like you were just mocking it. <laughs> And, oh, and, no, no, no. I think it, I, I think it's very clever because it works very, very well because they pick the perfect mark. Okay. All right. All right. Let's do another one here. Question. Is the hallway scene from Inception the best scene in a movie since 2010? If so, why not? And what's better? This is very timely considering we just crowned our champion uh, for the best of the last decade. Hallway scene from Inception is dynamite, fantastic. Uh, it would not be my pick. What do you guys think? Um, I have a few that at least rival it. And I've, I don't know if I'm ready to just say these are better, but I, I can say that I can say a couple of these are probably, I, I like these better than that hallway scene. Um, uh, in the social network, when our Andrew Garfield uh, throws Zuckerberg's uh, laptop on the ground and gives him that whole, speech and everything that scene is incredible um the raid two's kitchen fight which we've talked about a million times mm-hmm, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. is definitely one of the best scenes of the decade uh john wick three's uh, uh halle berry and the dogs scene is up there would you put that that's interesting because i was thinking a lot about john wick three and which scene which sequence would be my favorite of that because there's a lot that could be at the best of the decade. Part where there he's in the weapons store or whatever it is, that part, uh, the shooting the bullets underwater and they get stopped in the, <laughs> the horse scene, the horses. There's so many good things <laughs> out of that one. The one that made me the giddiest was that dog fight because Halle Berry and Keanu Reeves are sitting there like beating the normal amount of ass. And then just when you think there's sort of a dead end, like dogs come into the picture and you, you just, for, you forget about them. So they're, the dogs are occupied. Then the Halle Berry and Keanu Reeves continue kicking ass. And then you're like, and I'm like, okay, all right. And then dogs show up again. <laughs> really well. And then uh, Interstellar's match the spin scene. Oh, yeah. Oh. Fantastic as well. We're beautiful. also throwing Nolan into the group. It's beautiful. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my my answer um, to the best scene since 2010 is from a movie in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the opening of Inglorious Bastards. That's valid. Which, <clears throat> which I think is still in my top five best scenes of all time list. Mm-hmm. Um, like people talk to me about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I've now seen off and on five, five or six times. I still don't love it. Mm-hmm. I've grown to appreciate it more. But people talk to me about the scene at Spawn Ranch and how it crackles with tension. And I think it 
simmers with a little bit of tension, whereas the opening of Inglorious Bastards crackles with tension. Um, even if and you've I don't seen it this, before. Even if you've seen it before. Yeah. Even if you know what's coming. Uh, and then for my in-decade answers, because I felt required to give them, uh, the first time we saw Quicksilver do his thing, which I think was Days of Future Past in the in the kitchen at the CIA, whatever. Um, and then the, the opera scene in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Um, <clears throat> those are scenes that I, I could go on YouTube and watch over and over and over and over. Yeah, that opera scene is awesome. So good. Um, because... That you know the that movie plays on your expectations because you're expecting him to have to make the perfect shot. Yeah, and, I mean he does, but not in the way that you think he he does. You you expect him to have to kill the right person is basically what they're trying to set up there. And instead of deciding who's good or bad and who I should shoot, he shoots the actual mark in the you know in the in the movie to and shoots him in a place where he will get out of the out of the way of the assassin's bullet is something that i i just oh my god i love that scene so much and yeah dude it's Rebecca awesome Ferguson's legs and all that stuff is <laughs> no the scene itself is just just that just thinking about things on that smart kind of level is uh, a welcome thing in movies well, I've got one for uh, a different Mission Impossible. The the Halo jump from Fallout oh. is just one of one of the most technologically adept shots that I think you'll you'll ever see. I mean, it, you, when we see what goes into it and all the work that was put into it, how many times they did it, the the fact that the dude is shooting essentially blind. Right. Like yeah. he's, he's basically saying, I'm going to trust my instinct to find what's going on here. And the practicality of it is, it, I mean, you, you, you're rarely going to see that. Maybe you'll see it in the next Mission Impossible, but like uh, you're rarely going to see anything with that sort of technical precision again. So I'd have to put that up there. I also want to mention the, uh, the sequence. Now, the whole sequence of gravity is very, very tense, but li- the one where they first get to the ISS and they've been floating along and she's losing oxygen, but there's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of, here's what's going on, that kind of thing. But once they come in, he's like, we're going to come in hot. And all of a sudden the tension just goes up all the way to like 32. And you're taught the rules of gravity in that that kind of context, right? You got to figure out what to grab onto and how far, how much force is coming off of this. The fact that when they do open the airlock, like it flies open, it doesn't just like gently open a little bit, you know? Uh, so that's something. The last one I say is of course, I have to mention the master, <clears throat> the master <laughs> for, for the, uh, for a performance, the scene in which Freddie and Lancaster, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix are doing the auditing process. I'm doing this in quotes and in Scientology terms where he says, you can't blink. You're going to answer me every question that I, that I say. And Freddie's just like, fine, that's fine. And it's super tightly shot. It's perfectly acted. It's got some, brutal dialogue 
and it's it blew me away. I've I've watched that on YouTube a million times. It's not necessarily a comfortable scene to watch, but I think it's outstanding. I think it's amazing. Hmm. Yeah, and you brought up Mission Impossible. I mean, Burj Khalifa scene is going to be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of stuff from Mission Impossible movies that you could throw into this into this category. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for, uh, this week. And who knows what we're going to do after this? We've, we've spent our entire, like, uh, coronavirus quarantine doing this, this, uh, bracket. <laughs> true. So come up with some other, some other thing that, uh, whatever. But, uh, what did you think of our winner? What is your winner? Uh, go to Syncast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter. Uh, SoundCloud. We're also on Discord. If you want to get on Discord, you can go to our Reddit page and find a link on the right side of the page there, or you can Facebook uh, private message me and I will give you a link there. Uh, anything else we need to discuss? I think that's about it, baby. All All right. Right. That'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube. Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. And he's like, you know, he says, you know, um, but I didn't take any stolen equipment or whatever. And then he, he suddenly thinks of it and he's like, it's so... So like so that scene with Splinter, uh, you know, it, it's just him sitting there and like thinking, and it's it doesn't last long. So I did this thing where I just kind of looped it back and forth, where it's where he's just kind of he's, he's he's sitting there the whole time with the same expression on his face. <laughs> and you see this whole thing where it's like cream it's like, in his pants, cream, pants, cream, pants. cream in his pants. pants. <laughs> it's just got this. It looks. It looks like we made an airplane joke. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> sound that would make George Lucas cream in his pants. 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 It's it three times. The echo three times. Like you, like every other echo is like a couple of times. <laughs> cream. 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 His pants. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's that uh, you heard that song that's uh, "fuck you and you and you." Yeah, I hate that fucking song. I, I hate that song so much. I, hate, the video I really want to. I hate that motherfucker. I want to punch his ass every time I see it. <laughs> you should watch this one. one where it's like, and he's got it. Oh, I'm. I, I just figured out this thing that you can do with your finger. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's like, fuck you, dude. Fuck you. I don't care what the fuck you're talking about. Fuck your goddamn piece of shit song. <laughs> yep. Well, yep. The final the final sin is uh and in this Twilight Zone we find out what would have happened if Eminem had never met Dr. Dre and was born twenty five years later. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly fucking right. <laughs> the whole song, I'm just like, why this guy seems pretty affable. Why do I want to punch him? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes you just gotta cut a motherfucker. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I re- I did laugh at the one with the when she picks up the knife 
Oh, that's the one. Yeah, don't you Knights. stick that knife in your leg, Ricky? <laughs> don't you stick that knife in your leg. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one. That was a funny part of the interview. Did you ever see the interview, Jeremy? No. The Seth Rogen, James Franco thing. They were uh, they're talking about Kim Jong Un, Kim Jong Un, and like uh, he doesn't. He he has a perfect metabolism. He doesn't pee or poop. <laughs> and James Franco's like, he doesn't pee or poop. <laughs> uh, yeah, we look like we are ready. I, I look a little thin, but I think we always look thin to ourselves, right? Uh, uh, yeah, we decided that, yes. Yeah. When I look okay. in the mirror, I look really thin. Mm-hmm. I tell you that's, what, I, t- what, did I mean. tell you I've lost 20 pounds? Yeah, that I think so. Good. From that, uh, from that sickness and from the that's anxiety and everything. Yeah, that's that's like that's like uh, what it's it's good, but it's yeah, it's not good. It's like that's not the kind of weight loss you want. No, I no, lost no. twenty pounds, and ten of it was from my dick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> still have a five pound dick though. <laughs> Cream in his pants, pants. Cream in his pants. Um, all right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>